All right, I want to talk to you guys. We're wrapping up. This is week four. We've looked at this letter that the Apostle Paul, some of you by your faith backgrounds may know him as St. Paul, wrote to a church in Colossae. Now, it wasn't a church that he had started, but it was a church that he became aware of, had run into some problems. First, there were some theological problems because some smooth-talking guys had come into town and they had started to teach things that were, they sounded good, but they really weren't right. There was some heresy there, and heresy was just slight, always just slightly off, right? And they were saying things like, well, yes, Paul was great, but there's other, there's other things that are more important than just grace and just faith. You really need to have experiences. And they would say, like, look at us. We've had experiences with angels, and there are other things that you should worship other than just Jesus. And then they would say things like, you can't possibly believe faith is enough. You need to start changing things like you need to obey certain things. You need to, you, you need to start having these certain faith practices. And Paul got really upset, and he, he wrote this church, and he said, what are you doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're getting caught up in a lot of stuff. This is not where you started. So we're concluding this today. This is the fourth part of this message. And today I want to talk to you about what Paul references in this book to this church that he was concerned over. He references a concept that many of us have seen played out all over maybe the last decade. And it's, it's a makeover. Paul talks about makeovers. Now, if you've watched any of the television shows, Joan and I actually, our family was on a cruise ship years ago, and we were in, uh, you know, the, the hot tub that's up on the cruise ship, and the, the family, that extreme home makeover, was doing their house, got in the hot tub with us. Now, I just assumed that these people with video cameras wanted to look at me in the hot tub at the moment, but it turns out they actually were focused on this family that was having their house made over, and they were on the cruise ship with us. Now, we love, as a, as a, as a society, we love this concept of the, the extreme makeover. There's nothing better. The, the best part of the makeover is the big the reveal, right, at the end. When you see somebody who's undergone, like, a major body change or a major makeup and apparel change, there's nothing better than when you see the before and after pic. It just shows you what's possible, right? Now, if you were here with us a year ago on Halloween, I shared with you my all-time favorite before and after transformation picture. Because transformation, if you, if, you, if you think about it, it can go both ways. This is so good. It came up on my, on my Facebook time hop this week, and it's such a good picture about how transformation can go from bad to good or it can go from good to bad. You might remember this picture. This is a picture of my cousin's little girl, Mia. And Mia dressed up as Elsa for Halloween, and you could just see that, you know, my cousin Noel put so much time and effort into just make, I mean, this is just, is there anything sweeter or cuter than you've ever seen this in your life? And she was so proud of her little girl, and there was a, a party in, in town, and uh, so all the little kids that were her age were gathering, and they were all to wear their Halloween costumes, and my cousin Noel dropped little Mia off, all beautiful and sweet, and uh, she was told to come back and pick Mia up two hours later, and when she got back, this is an untouched picture. This is exactly what it looked like when she picked Mia up two hours later. <laughs> you cannot make that up, right? I think I may show you this every Halloween for the next hundred years, because there is no greater picture than that. Um, I... <laughs> The belly hanging out is the best part of the whole picture, right? 
But that's not the kind of makeover I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you more about tra traditional makeover. Now, if you're, you're a pastor like me, and there's probably not too many of you that are, but maybe you're a doctor, or maybe you, you have something else where you, you have to work on Sunday, so you get a weekday off. And if you happen to sit in front of a TV on a weekday morning, you will find yourself, especially weekday late afternoon or late mornings, you'll find yourself subjected to various weekday late morning programming. Some of it good, some of it not so great. For example, you know, I find myself, uh, we used to take Monday off as a staff, and now we take Friday off. And so around 10 o'clock, right, um, let's make a deal comes on. And around 11 o'clock, Price is Right comes on. I'm kind of a fan of, of Price is Right. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes then I, I start to realize who I'm watching Price is Right with because you start to notice something about the commercials and who the, those ads are targeted to. Um, it appears that most of my fellow daytime TV watchers need things like medical alert necklaces and, uh, and Depends undergarments. and So I start to, to feel a little bit bad about myself. But there's this staple of daytime programming now, which has been on for several years. And it comes on at 10 o'clock. It's part of the Today Show. Uh, you wouldn't really know it, but this Hoda and Kathy Lee. Have you seen Hoda and Kathy Lee? This is, I'm going to need some response from you people. Have you seen Hoda and Kathy Lee? Now, this is where the Today Show makes a turn out of the hard news concept into something fueled, apparently, by Chardonnay on the desk. And, you know, they do lots of uh, wine drinking, and, and they do ambush makeovers, where they go out onto the plaza outside the Today Show. Now, it always seemed kind of insulting to me if you were the person chosen for the ambush makeover. I mean, that doesn't seem like that's something you'd really want because they're kind of making an assumption or presumption about who you are and what you look like. But they'll bring in mostly women. Uh, they should probably bring in some guys, but they'll bring in women and they'll, they'll promise them what they call an ambush makeover. Now, these are pretty amazing things that go on, right? In fact, uh, I took uh, some pictures to show you some of these ambush makeovers, what they look like. Take a look at what's possible just in this short amount of time. Um, these, these are relatively dramatic. I mean, that picture on the left has been haunting me most of Thanksgiving weekend. Um, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing the power of transformation. Now, what, what Hoda and Kathy Lee do, the best part of the ambush makeover, and you see this on all makeover shows. Um, in fact, they do it when they do the home makeover, right? The best part is the big reveal. And so what they do is they bring the makeover recipient out, and most of the folks that are out on the plaza are there with family or friends, a spouse, kids, and they bring the kids and the husband in, and they put a blindfold on them. And then they bring the ambush makeover victim out, and they ask the husband or the kids to, to take their blindfold off. And they see this person that they love for the first time have you seen these? These are really powerful moments. I mean, you see, like, the husband, his, his jaw drops open. Uh, these are on YouTube. You should Google them. You see the kids. The kids will scream sometimes because of the, the dramatic transformation. And, it, and the scream usually turns into a laugh or, or to a cry. And then the host, the most dramatic moment, it's a really interesting moment. The, the host tells the ambush victim to turn and look at themselves in the mirror. And if you've seen it, there's just something really, I don't know how to describe it, but there's something magical about that, that moment. It's like there's this profound 
moment of discovery or reflection, it's like where for a second or two, time seems to stand still as, as they look at themselves. And just like for the family, almost immediately tears start to come. Why is that? I mean, why is that reveal moment for the subject and for the family, even for us, the audience, why is that moment so powerful? Well, I think the answer, especially for the show participants, is that they're for the first time in a long time seeing the beauty of the inside of the one that they love matching the outer countenance and adornment of the one they love. Husbands who have loved their wives for a long time, but maybe have started to see their wives kind of, I don't know, give up a little bit, or maybe you know, everything, is, the kids have taken a toll and and the, the husbands who just love the souls of their wives, suddenly it's as if their wives are reborn before their eyes. And I'm not talking about looks here. This isn't about that their, their wives suddenly are good looking. It's like, oh, suddenly the outside matches the inside. The, the children, when they saw their mom for the first time, they, they know the beauty of their mother's soul and its kindness and it's wonder. And suddenly, what they know about their mom on the inside is true of the outside. And they're moved because of this. It's visible. It's plain for everybody to see. Now, this is, this is the, who my mom, there's integrity here. And why do I cry? I, mean, I don't want to blow my tough guy image. But I mean, you know, this stuff chokes me up. And I think it's, be, and it, listen, I know it chokes you up too. You know why? Because they keep putting these shows on and we keep tuning in. So it's resonating with us at some deep level. Now why? I think as I thought about it, it's because we see something of ourselves in these transformations. That makes us, gives us a glimmer of hope about what possibilities are for us. Because just like the ones that we're watching on the screen, maybe this is true in your life, specifically this morning, your spiritual life. Maybe you've gotten tired or, or lazy or disappointed Maybe the frustrations and the work and the kids, uh, maybe the broken dreams, maybe over time they pile up year after year, and maybe we let ourselves go a little bit. We don't really care that much about what the outside looks like. I don't mean just beauty-wise, I just mean what we adorn, what Paul would say we've adorned ourselves with. We'll talk about it in a minute. I mean, we might be people inside of great faith, Certain beliefs. But maybe what we're looking like to others on the outside is not matching the truth of who we are on the inside. Now, the Bible talks lots about this, and you're familiar with a lot of it. Because a lot of time when the Bible talks about it, it talks about folks, religious leaders, and even us who come into church. How is everything? It's good, brother. How are your devotions this week? Fantastic. Did I tell you my kid got into Princeton? And, you know, there's this whole thing about how holy we are, how wonderful we are, how set apart we are. Right? But the scriptures seem to say that there's a lot of folks that do this, especially the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who would look one way on the outside, but the truth is they looked very different inside. Outside looked really good, but inside was really bad. And we call that hypocrisy. But what if, what if hypocrisy wasn't a one-way street? What if hypocrisy wasn't a one-way street? 
Because hypocrisy, like makeovers, can work both ways. Here's the deal. There are plenty of us who believe one thing in our hearts and our souls and our minds, but the way we live, the way we pattern our lives, the way those beliefs are worked out, do not, does not match the beauty of our transformed souls. We look good inside. There is this force that is alive in us. There is the Holy Spirit which lives within us. There is a new pattern of life available to us, but we don't live out of it or through it. So instead, there's something beautiful inside that doesn't match what's going on outside. Now, if you were here last week, I, I, I was trying to share what I think Paul is trying to tell us is a profound truth. It was this. Where we set our hearts and our minds, what you and I focus on, what we dream about, what we, what we hope to have tomorrow, what we're thinking about right before we go to bed and we wake up in the morning, what we center ourselves on and what we pursue. Paul says, where you set your hearts and your minds, where you set your hearts and your minds is going to impact what you wear. He says it's going to impact the kind of clothes you have on it. This is an analogy. He doesn't really mean your clothes. He means the outworkings of this, this faith. We saw last week, right? We, we had some fun with that, you know, where I said, look, we all know this is why Paul uses the analogy. We know we can tell where people's minds are based on what they wear. And if you were here, you know, I pulled out a suit and I said, what, 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 if you see somebody wearing a suit, what are their, what's their heart and mind focused on? And you all said work. And then I pulled out a football jersey and I said, you know, if you see somebody in, in athletic apparel, where is their heart and mindset? And you said sports. And then I pulled out a piece of lingerie and I asked, where is their heart and mindset? And you said <laughs> there was a husband out there that said sleep, I think, but I'm not going to answer that discussion. See, Paul understood that. And he says, we need to set our hearts and minds aright so that the way we live would be a reflection of the truth that is in us. It determines what we, what we, where we set our hearts and minds determines what we wear. Now, last week we talked about, Paul said, because your hearts and minds are now set on heavenly things, this is going to change. There's going to be things you're going to have to take off. Let me read you the verse we, we, we went over last week. Paul said this. He said, since then you've been, since Christ is superior, that was the beginning of this letter, you don't need to add anything to it. Paul said, this isn't about doing a list of commands and not doing other things. You are perfectly, uh, you're perfectly clean and righteous because of your faith in Christ. He says, since that's true, since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he gives this list. Things like sexual immorality and impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul says, now you used to walk in these ways, in the life that you used to live out of, the life, power, and source that you used to live out of. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off, Paul says, you've taken off your old self and you've put on a new self. Paul said to this church as he was in prison and he's writing to this church in Colossae, he said, hey man, I've heard some stuff. I've got to tell you, you've, got, you've allowed your heart and your mind to get set on the wrong thing and as a result, your wardrobe church is not very good right now. What you've allowed yourself to wear on the outside does not match the beauty of your inside. And last week, 
We talked about one primary issue, one issue that tends to trip most of us up, what Paul called sexual immorality, and how this issue is different for, uh, than all other, uh, other issues. And I shared with you, I shared with you as your pastor that, you know, in our lives, we are so willing, almost all of us, this is, and we're, we're willing to give God our money, and we're willing to give him our time, and we're willing to dedicate our children, and we're willing to go on missions trips, and, and we're willing to, to try to, to be really good and to go to church. But it's like there's this one issue that has to do with our sexuality. There's one issue that has to do with intimacy. Don't go there. As we talked about that last week, about when we, when we walk in those ways, when we walk clothed in sexual immorality, the impact it has on our souls and how Paul said this isn't an issue of commands. This is an issue of the one who made you, knowing what is good for your soul and good for the souls of those around you. Last week, I know a bunch of you said there was one line that resonated very deeply with you when I said if I asked everyone in this room to name three regrets, to write down for me three regrets, with great certainty, I am sure that one of your three regrets would have some kind of sexual nature to it. Very few of us go, I wish I hadn't gossiped in, in, in high school, but, but a lot of us have these other experiences that wish we hadn't been part of in high school. And so many of you were writing me saying, this has been true in my life. And so you were sharing how you needed, you've, you're in need to take these things off. But this week, Paul goes on because it's not just a matter of removing things from our lives. It's a matter of what we're going to put on, this new nature of what we put on ourselves. So this is what Paul says. He goes on in, in chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. He says, okay, so therefore now, as God's chosen people, you are God's chosen people. He says, you're holy and loved. Now remember, you just started to teach them, you're not holy and loved because you have to do certain things. You, have to, you, have to, you can get yourself to heaven. You can be good enough. This has nothing to do with the rules. You're holy and loved because of what Jesus did for you. Because you're God's chosen people, because you're holy and loved, he says, therefore, you need to clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You need to bear with each other. You need to forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone else, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, Paul says, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Clothe yourself. Now, this analogy of clothing yourself is used over and over in the scriptures. In Luke 24, right, Jesus said that the disciples would be clothed with a power uh, from on high. Peter, in his letter in chapter 5, told, told the followers to clothe themselves in humility. In the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles, people are told to be clothed with salvation. And what Paul is saying when he says clothe here is... When he says we should clothe ourselves, does, does that list of things sound familiar to anybody? You ever hear that list of characteristics anywhere? Check it out, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And so, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul is saying, church, you need to put on, you need to be clothed in the fruits of the Spirit. Now, if you were here for our summer series two years ago, we had a dramatic presentation of how one clothes themselves in the fruit of the Spirit. For the better part of a couple hundred years, the church has been saying, you need to be kinder, so here's five principles to being kind. You need to be more patient, so stop yelling at people. 
Well, Paul says, no, 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 don't focus on commands. When you focus on commands, it actually just fluffs up the sin more, right? We talked about that last week. So we had those two fig trees here a couple summers ago, and we cut the one fig tree right at the root that looked exactly the same. But this fig tree, the one that wasn't cut, kept producing figs. Didn't try at all. It produced fruit because it was attached to the vine. The other tree produced nothing. But we spray painted it. We hung fake fruit on it because we were trying to show that oftentimes as Christians, we don't abide. We simply try to create fruit. How do you clothe yourself in these things? Paul said it's very easy in John 15. He said, this is what Jesus said. Excuse me, Jesus said this. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can't do any of these things. And so now it's Eisman, or excuse me, it's Thanksgiving week. And we've been given this list of the fruits of the Spirit. There's a family here laughing who's, who a member of that family told me, I wish you had preached this last week. So I ask you, what did you adorn yourselves in at the Thanksgiving table this week? What were you covered in? Were you covered in things like peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control? See, Joan and I came to an agreement when we first got married that we would alternate Thanksgivings. One year would be an Eisman Thanksgiving, and the next year would be a, Joan's maiden name is Berg, the next year would be a Berg Thanksgiving. Well, this year, ladies and gentlemen, it was an Eisman Thanksgiving. And it was wonderful. I mean, there was just, I mean, chivalry and love and contentment. At one point during the meal, I'm not sure, but I believe we broke out in song. It was a beautiful thing. Unless you're a Berg. And then you sit in the kitchen cooking for three days saying, why, dear God, have you allowed this? But see, Joan doesn't do that because Joan actually has enabled herself to clothe herself in these things. And she's just this wonderful, just wonderful wife for me. And she puts on this amazing Thanksgiving. And she's so much more patient and kind to my family than, than I am to theirs. Fellow turkey eaters, fellow Thanksgiving table dwellers, what'd you look like on Thursday? What'd you clothe yourselves in? I mean, how many of you celebrated with in-laws? Raise your hand if you celebrated Thanksgiving with in-laws. Raise them high. This is a participatory event. Would your in-laws come in and say, I love what John is wearing. Look at him. It doesn't matter if it's at the table or the kitchen or the living room. He just seemed to be adorned in peace and kindness and gentleness. Or did they experience something in you? Maybe, maybe an in-law, a wife, a kid. Did they experience something on the outside that did not match what is true of the new nature you've been given on the inside? Is the only experience that they had with you, of God, through you, the prayer you prayed before they ate, or was it the prayer that was being reflected by your life, by what you wore long before you ever sat down at that table? Now this morning I'm going to focus on one characteristic, one type of clothes, just like last week I focused on one type, that we should be covered in. But I do want to make a quick couple comments on a couple of them, if I can. Paul says, be clothed with compassion. Compassion's interesting, right? Compassion means having a soft heart for people who are in need. In a sense, Paul says, if I, I may encourage you, he says... To be compassionate, you need to start seeing life through the lens of other people who are in different circumstances than you. 
You need to see it through the eyes of the young. You need to see life through the eyes of the old. Maybe you need to see life through the eyes of the unmarried or through the eyes of the married. Or maybe through the eyes of the special needs families among us and what they contend with every day. Compassion is having a soft heart for people who are in need, for the poor and the marginalized and the broken and the refugee. How are you doing, church, on compassion? Let me ask you about your Thanksgiving table. There is likely somebody around your Thanksgiving table who you did not want to spend this Thanksgiving with. It's probably annoying, an annoying brother-in-law. I asked in the first service how many had an annoying brother-in-law. No one would raise their hand. But one did come up to me after the service and admit it. But you know, have you ever thought, maybe that person that has to come to that table and sit there, maybe have you ever looked at life through his eyes? Have you ever said maybe the reason he needs so much attention, maybe he needs to have the focus of everything around him, is because growing up he never got the attention of his father? Maybe he's been begging for it his whole life. Maybe he's, been, he's got a low emotional intelligence. Maybe he's been marginalized and set aside his whole life. And he comes to your house for Thanksgiving. And you know what the Lord tells me? You just did the same thing to him that's been happening to him his whole life. Did you clothe yourself with compassion? And then Paul says, did you clothe yourself with kindness? I mean, this is a fascinating one. This is, Joan and I have been working on this in our marriage about being kind. And we're going to go into relationships in the spring. But this has probably been a breakthrough for us. And here's the best way to describe it. Isn't it interesting how it's so easy to be kind to someone you don't know, but really hard to be kind to someone that you say you love? We can be sitting around having dinner at night, and I'll go over to get a cup or something, and Courtney will say, hey, Dad, can you get me the milk? And I will immediately begin to say, Courtney, why do you have to be so lazy? Get out of the chair, go over to the fridge, and get yourself the milk. In fact, I already paid for the milk for you. I would think that would be enough. <laughs> and then the phone rings. And it's somebody that I don't really know, but they're part of the wrestling club in town. And they say, you know, the next thing my kids hear is, oh, you're looking for Jim's phone number? Well, I don't have it on me. It's out in my car. Hold on a minute. I'll be right back. I run out, I get, no problem at all, I'm happy to help you. Did you are you clothed in kindness? Would people describe you as a kind person? And it says, Paul says, clothe yourself with humility. How are you doing on that? I mean, when Paul says clothe yourself with humility, Paul understood it. Paul was a bigwig in the faith. He was the most educated guy around until he was humbled on a road to Damascus one day when a bright light hit him and he was blinded and it has a way of humbling a man. And so he says to the church, what's true of those of us that are living out of a new nature is we don't have to be the best, the smartest, and the brightest. We should be a people who are humble. Are you, are you clothed in humility? Here's what the Bible says about this. I love it. It says, don't be selfish. It's Philippians. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking about others as better than yourselves, how did you do at the Thanksgiving table? Did you look around and say, you know what, I, I don't need to say a word about myself here. It's okay for everybody else to, to talk about their lives because you know what, here's something I need to learn. They're all, in a sense, better than I am. Or did you need to make sure that everybody knew who paid for Thanksgiving dinner? How you doing with humility? 
Another piece of clothing that we're supposed to wear is gentleness. Gentleness is not being wimpy. Gentleness, the Greek word for gentleness, literally means power under control. It doesn't mean passivity or indifference. What it means is understanding that although you may be right, although you might be smarter, although you might be richer or more successful or more powerful, you don't need to use it to get your way. Why do you always need to be right? I did this to my poor wife this week. Because I was sitting at my desk. John was flying in from Brussels, like I told you. And so, uh, you know, he, John texts. I'm supposed to go pick him up at the airport. And I have problems with time sometimes. And so John, I'm sitting at my desk, and John texts, and he goes, the eagle has landed. And I said, I looked at the clock, and I said, what? And so I texted back. I said, you're not supposed to land for 35 minutes. And Courtney wrote back, that's dad's hashtag for I'm going to be late. <laughs> and so... You know, I, I kind of know that in my relationship with my wife, sometimes the fact that I'm like last minute Louie, this, this causes some problems. So, uh, so when I got home, Joan said, why were you late picking John up? And I said, Joan, you need to understand. You forwarded me the email that said this was the time he was coming in, and that meant I had 35 minutes. Plus, Joan, he had to go through customs. That's another 10 minutes. Plus, it's Thanksgiving weekend. That's another 10 minutes. I had at least 45 to 50 minutes. I was not late. And Joan said, no, that flight came in at 12. And I said, oh, tut, tut, tut. <laughs> and for some reason, I felt the need to send her a little email that just said, forwarding her the time the, the plane came in. Now, I want you to all know, I was right. But, <laughs> but the issue is, why can't I be gentle? Why do I need to, to, to use whatever's at my disposal to make sure I win? Paul says, clothe yourself with patience. I heard a great line on this one this week about a guy and his long commute. He said, if you're like me, I'm trying to, when I'm trying to get somewhere fast, I'm in the passing lane. There's always somebody in front of me going slower than I want them to go, and I can't get by. And you know, I think, you idiot, why don't you move over and let me through? And then there's times when I'm in the hurry, and I'm not in a hurry, and I'm not trying to get anywhere, and I'm driving in the passing lane, and I'm taking my time, and some guy comes riding right up on my behind, starts flashing his lights in my mirror, and he's right on my bumper, and I think, you moron, what are you doing back there? Isn't it interesting that people who drive slower than you are stupid idiots, and people who drive faster than you are morons? How's your patience? You clothed in patience? Paul goes on, he says, look, bear with one another. Bear with one another. That's part of being patient, learning to bear with one another. Here's a secret to bearing one another. Anybody can bear with people that don't annoy them. We bear with people who annoy us. That's where the tension is. Right now, many of you are bearing with me. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How are you doing on that? Are you carrying around grudges like crazy? Were you trying not to say something at the table on Thursday because you can't get rid of this grudge? And then Paul says in, in verse 14, he says, And over all of these things, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Because as you live out of this new life source that's in you, when you start to connect to it because God is love, you will become loving. And the natural outgrowth of love is that it binds these things together. You're going to have more compassion. You're going to have more kindness. You're going to have humility and gentleness. You're going to be patient. You're going to forgive. Put on love. Now here's the last thing I want to share with you. 
What you set your hearts and minds on determines what it is you're going to wear. Are you wearing these things? And if you're not, are you open to the thought that you might have set your heart and minds on things a little lower? Perhaps there's a lot more striving going on in your life than abiding. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I'm good with all these things. You totally have my permission to get up and go home, skip the rest of the talk. On the way out, the ushers will hand you a, a, a CD on pride. But uh, most of the rest of us go, there's some stuff on the outside that doesn't match what I believe on the inside. Maybe I need to be abiding with God a little bit more. It resonates with me when I, uh, I came across this prayer some time ago uttered by somebody mostly in the same circumstances. Dear God, so far today, I have done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, or selfish. I haven't lied. I haven't stolen or cheated. But in a few minutes, God, I am going to get out of this bed, and that's when I'm going to need a lot of help. What are you wearing, church? Final thought for Thanksgiving weekend. Paul seems to insist that for those of us that have been renewed through this new life source available to us, through faith on the inside, that there is an outer garment that should be evident to all and that it matters for all. He seems, in fact, pretty insistent on it. It's in, it's in Colossians, same chapter, 3, 15 to 17. Let's, uh, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you're called to peace, and be, church, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with, church, in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, church, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says that when our outsides match our insides, when we are people of integrity, then we will be people filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, you, you may not know this, but go home and try to count the Bible verses related to thankfulness. It's literally like counting the, the, sea, the sand on a seashore. Let me, let me read you a couple of these. 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. Problems with your kids, lost someone you love, bad diagnosis, lost a job. You know, you go through, you, we've all tasted it. Paul says, in all circumstances, give thanks. This is the will of God. This, it is the will of God for you to give thanks. Psalm 100, it's called a, a psalm of thanksgiving. It says, enter his gates with thanksgivings and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Philippians says, don't be anxious about ever, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. You want to hear repetition? How about Psalm 136? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to God, of, or the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Here's what I want you to understand about this, this Thanksgiving weekend. In the Bible, being thankful is not a good idea. Being thankful is not an encouragement for you. You are commanded, it is the will of God, you are commanded to be thankful. 
It's not something where you might be or you should be, but it's something that you must be. But why? I mean, is God just this narcissistic, needy, heavenly being treat me like, treating me like, I don't know, maybe a cruel stepmother might? Well, listen, you ought to just be thankful that I allow you to stay under my roof. Is God's cry more like that from a reasonable parent in today's day and age? You ought to just be thankful that you have an iPhone, you don't need a Samsung Edge. Is God's desire that we be thankful, is it like for me as a dad, I keep telling my kids over and over, they ought to be thankful because you know I could have a beach house if I wasn't paying for all this college. Just be thankful. Is God that needy that he needs your thankfulness? Or, or, is it something else completely Because what if God's commands, like we talked about last week, what if God's commands aren't just arbitrary, but what if, like last week when it came to intimacy and sexuality, what if God's commands weren't about him and his needs, but they were the loving direction from a father who knows how you work and what is best for you? I'm going to read, I'm going to conclude with this. This is so fascinating. I'm going to read uh, to you from the Huffington Post. This is not a Christian newspaper, okay? This is what they wrote recently about thankfulness. Our world is pretty messed up. With all the violence, pollution, and crazy things people do, it would be easy to turn into a grouchy old man without being either elderly or male. There's certainly no shortage of justification for disappointment and cynicism. But consider this. Negative attitudes are bad for you. And gratitude, thanksgiving, it turns out, makes you happier and healthier. If, listen to what this is so good, okay? I just want, I just, this is who God, what God desires for us. If you invest in a way of seeing the world, remember, where you set your heart and mind determines what you wear. If you invest in a way of seeing the world that is mean and frustrated, you are going to get a world that is mean and frustrating. But if you find any authentic reason to give hope, church, do you have an authentic reason to give hope? If you find any authentic reason to give thanks, anything that is going right with the world or your life, and you put your attention there, set your hearts and minds on things above, statistics say you're going to be better off. Does this mean we live in a constant state of denial that you put your head in the sand? Of course not. Gratitude works when you're grateful for something real. Feeling euphoric and spending money like you won the lottery when you didn't is probably going to make you real poor real quick. But what are you actually grateful for? It's a question that could change your life. Listen to this. Recent studies conclude that the expression of gratitude can have profound and positive effects on our health, our moods, and even the survival of our marriages. Dr. Blair and Justice reported from the University of Texas Health Science Center, quote, a growing body of research shows that gratitude is amazing in its physical and psychosocial benefits. In one study, they randomly assigned participants into one of three tasks. Each week, participants were to keep a journal. One group briefly described five things they were grateful for that had occurred in the past week, Another five recorded daily hassles from the previous week that displeased them, and the neutral group was asked to list five circumstances that affected them, but weren't told to focus on the positive or the negative. Ten weeks later, the participants in the gratitude group, 
felt better about their lives as a whole and were 25% happier than the hassled group. They reported fewer health complaints, and believe it or not, they wound up exercising an average of an hour and a half more. Why? Because something they believed, coupled with just a, a simple spiritual formation practice, impacted the way they lived, impacted what they wore. In a later study by, by Emmons, people were asked to write down, not just once a week, but every day about things for which they were grateful. Not surprisingly, this daily practice led to greater increases of gratitude than the weekly journaling did. How about this, though? But the results showed another benefit. Participants in the gratitude group also reported offering others more emotional support or help with their personal problems, indicating the gratitude exercise increased their goodwill towards others. Not only did it impact the way they lived, thankfulness impacted the way they treated others. Where you set your heart and your mind impacts what you wear and what people see. Perhaps most tellingly, the positive changes were markedly noticeable to others. What they wore was noticeable and impactful to others. According to the researchers, quote, spouses... Of the, you want to change your marriage? Spouses of the participants in the gratitude group reported that the participants appeared to have higher subjective well-being than did the spouses of the participants in the control group. Dr. John Gottman of the University of Washington, he's been researching marriages for two decades. The conclusion of all this, he states, is that unless a couple is able to maintain a high ratio of positive to negative encounters, it's likely the marriage will end. With nine, this is fascinating, with 90% accuracy, Gottman can predict, often after only three minutes of observation, which marriages will flourish and which are going to flounder. The formula is that for every negative experience, there needs to be about po five positive ones. And the positive ones were expressions of appreciation and gratitude. What if Thanksgiving weren't just a national holiday? What if it wasn't just momentary or dutiful or commanded? What if it were spiritual? What if it were beneficial? And what if it were continual? What if it weren't an arbitrary command from, from a distant God, but loving counsel and advice from a father who does not need your Thanksgiving? You need it. There's an old saying that if you've forgotten the language of gratitude... You will never be on speaking terms with happiness. So let me conclude with this. Ben, you guys can come up. What you wear matters. Maybe just maybe you've gotten a bit beat up or tired or worn down. The world will do that to you. Maybe the tattered hair, the forgotten makeup, the sweats and the sneakers of the before ambush makeover folks is reflective of your soul. Maybe you've given up a bit. Maybe sometimes you don't really care what you're wearing spiritually anymore. But the Bible says what you wear matters. And if it's a cloak of thanksgiving, it'll change you. So here's your homework assignment. You want a homework assignment as we conclude Colossians? Here's, here's what the scientific study showed. It's right out of the Bible. It's fascinating. Here's Huffington Post. Three things to do. Number one, keep a daily journal of three things you are thankful for. This works well first thing in the morning or just before you go to bed. This is a spiritual practice, guys. Here's what Psalm 9 says. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Number two, 
Make it a practice to tell a spouse or a partner or a friend something you appreciate about them every day. Truth is, I woke up last night to my wife telling me she loved me. She woke me up to tell me that. It works. Here's what the Bible says, Psalm 9. Sing praises to the Lord. Tell among the peoples his deeds. First Chronicles, give thanks to the Lord. Make known his deeds among the people. And lastly, because it matters where you set your heart and your minds, because they don't impact what you wear. Number three, look in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth and think about something you have done well recently or something you like about yourself. Here's what you should like about yourself. You are the chosen sons and daughters of the God Most High. Redeemed, forgiven, blessed. Father, open our eyes that we might see. Lord, help us to be a people that don't speak of thanksgiving, but live it out experientially and be what you call us to be to those around us and in this community. People of thanksgiving, a people of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.